The views and opinions shared by They Might Be Toxic hosts, guests, or sponsors are those of each contributor and do not necessarily express the official view of the brand. We are not doctors, and this podcast should not be mistaken for therapy. Nothing expressed in this content is intended to malign or harm any party or person. We are simply here to discuss and dissect our toxic relationships and to learn about yours. Welcome to episode four of They Might Be Toxic. In this episode, Pilar and I continue our conversation in discussing emotional intelligence versus financial well-being and how our environment seems to encourage narcissistic behavior. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. You know, with my boyfriend right now, I have, when I have certain interactions with my ex, I literally, like, it ruins my day because I'm still under PTSD, you know, reactions of, I need to like literally bring myself down and and meditate and think about it and tell my body you're not in it. You're not in the trauma anymore. It's this behind you, but it takes, it takes time to believe yourself that you're safe. And he, he knows me, my boyfriend knows me so well that he knows my body language when, when I'm going through that. And he literally he offers support. He's like, how can I be of help right now? How can I help you? How can I help you feel better? Like right. he vocalizes all this stuff that to me is completely foreign. Right. And it's still very hard for me to say, hey, I want you to do A, B, and C for me. Because to me, asking for help is like, oh, God, oh, yeah, no. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I totally get that. I am so... Uh, probably toxically independent. Yeah. And once again, I've learned that if I don't place myself in my feminine vibe, that he can't be in his masculine vibe. Right. You know, because like, I can be like here at work, really busy with like five minutes to spare. But I'll be like, if he goes, hey, can I pick up something on my way home? And instead of me going, yeah, go ahead and pick up lunch or dinner or something. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I got I'll this. do it. I'm going to do it. And it's like so stupid, no. you know? So little by little, I'm learning that it's okay to say, yes, babe, you know, pick up some, some dinner. That would help me. But it goes against my nature so bad that, like, I hate myself a little bit while doing that. But when I see his face, what I love about like the days before texting, right? Because when I was going through this, I didn't have a choice. Like there was no, like he didn't ask me permission if he could make dinner. He would just surprise me. Like I remember sometimes like he would know that I had a bad meeting or something happened at work. He would show up with flowers or he would, you know, I'd get home and the house would be cleaned by surprise. It was just like thoughtfulness. It, it's so against how I've been raised because (laughs) I was talking to one of my clients one time and she was so proud of how independent she was and how when she was little she had to do all this stuff and take care of all three of her sisters and I'm like honey that's not good that's that's literally a trauma response you being as independent as you are it's great but that is a trauma response because when you're a kid and you are made to be responsible for all this. Act like an adult stuff. when you're a child. It's no good because that puts you in being an adult very much earlier than what you're supposed to. 
Right. And guess what? You started realizing, oh, the adults around me cannot be trusted with me and my well-being. So I have to do all of this now. You know? So when we go, oh, I'm so independent, I can do everything. Yeah. That's no good. <laughs> you know, we're taught it's to not. be we're taught to be so proud of this. And to a certain level, you should be proud that you made it. And that you find a way to cope with that. Right. But it's not good. And it affects your future relationships. You know, it's very hard for me to let a boyfriend help. Because to me, it's like, that means that I'm not enough. Right. You know? But if I don't let him be in his masculine state and be the, the caregiver, not the caregiver, the, the protector, the, the one with initiative, then I'm never going to get out of my masculine state. Right. And uh, I know everybody, you know, feminists, you're left and right saying men and women are the same. No, we're not. Sorry. I, I don't. We're not. No. I, whatever higher power you believe in made us different for a reason. You know, and we need those differences because they complement each other. And right. if I'm always in my masculine, guess what? He's not going to be in his masculine because they can't be two bosses. Well, and what's difficult is in, especially in America, but in most of, you know, first world countries, we definitely value people who are good at work, people who can make money. We don't value people who are loving and kind. We don't value people who are vulnerable, right? Like that, oh, well, where are your balls? And, you know, how are you going to get to the top if you're, you know, such a pussy? We really have a much higher value on earning and worth work ethic versus emotional intelligence, emotional maturity, communication, how to speak mm -hmm. to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. And it, because money drives everything and that doesn't make money, you know, being emotionally intelligent, you can't, you can't monetize that, you know? So we encourage women have kids, put them in daycare and, go back into the world. Don't, don't invest money or don't invest emotion and attention in your kids. Go make money. Right. You know, and then we, we're surprised how our kids are so emotionally idiots. You know, they're not, they don't, they have zero emotional intelligence because we, we just didn't give it to them. Right. You know, and I understand that there's cases where, you know, a mom can't stay at home and, and, and that is understandable, but when it's something where you have an option, I feel like we were made the way we were as women to be able to drive that in our families, to be like the, the, the one that can teach the fallen generation how to be emotionally intelligent, you know? Right. And we should be able to, to be like, okay, I can do this and, and teach our kids or whatever how to be that way instead of like pawning them off to like school or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with a lot of narcs and how they're made is because that they didn't have that. Because, I mean, narcissists are just kids. They were traumatized in a certain way, you right. know? Trauma breeds trauma. And I don't think narcissists are born. I think they're created. Right. Definitely my ex-husband, his mom was, I mean, I don't think I would call her pure evil, but she was really nasty and really mean and really ugly. And as soon as I got to know him a little bit better, because we didn't date that long. We only dated for six months, you know, again, like the, you know, roller coaster ride, you know, relationship. Hot and heavy. Um, 
yeah, the, the more I got to know him, the more I definitely realized that she was, had been just, I don't know if it was physically abusive, but she was definitely verbal abu- verbally abusive. And once I got to know her, I could definitely see her as the kind of mom who would beat the shit out of you. Like she seemed like that. And there was also some weird, you know, it's always weird because we always view everybody else's family as like, oh, they're so perfect and everybody gets along. And then you get to them and you're like, oh, they're fucking weird. Like the parents sleep in separate bedrooms and they probably haven't fucked in like 20 years. There was some weird sexual stuff that went on in the house and, and we, him and I had definitely that was like the highlight of our problems. Um, and I think probably as, as a much more mature adult, looking back, there's probably a whole lot more there that we never discussed because I remember. So at this point in my life, I didn't remember the sexual abuse that had happened to me. And whenever I would interact with my sister who did remember, he would be like, oh, she's such a whore. And he would like make all these nasty comments at her. Right. But like looking back on it, it makes me realize that like some shit went down in your house that we never, that we never arrived at. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't discover my own sexual abuse until years after I left him. It was probably a couple of years after I got out of the marriage when, you know, that like magical 28 number where all the shit hits the fan. Yeah. I turned 28 and like just all the, you know, all the shit, put itself together in my head. And I was like, Oh my God, there it is. You know, it was very, you know, you couldn't not see it. Do you ever like, in my case, my mom was very abusive. And um, I, as a kid, like I, I told you before, as a kid, you feel like your parents are perfect. So whenever you're abused, you, you internalize everything, you blame yourself. But as an adult, I discover that she had been sexually abused by a family member and her and her sisters were all sexually abused. And a hundred percent sure that her trauma and not only her sexual abuse, but all their types of abuse that she went through made her who she is. Of course. You know, and it gave me a little bit of grace as an adult absolutely have to give our parents grace I think that that's part of healing and growing up but here's where I regressed a little bit when when I discovered that that she was sexually abused and and she was being uh emotionally abused by my dad a hundred percent my dad cheated on her left and right when she was pregnant I mean was mean to her stuff yeah was just even like so cruel with the things that he would say to her and he would one of the things that he would do is he would come to us to me and my sisters and be like oh, your mom is crazy like he would try to gang up with us against my mom of course so I can totally understand why my mom was coping with her abuse her childhood abuse and her abuse from my dad by beating the ever leaving crap out of us and by right. blowing up. And I know that she had mental issues as well. But let me tell you when I regressed, when when feeling grace for my mom and then not is when I gave birth to my son, my first right. son, I held that boy in my hands. And automatically the first thing that went into my mind was how did my mom have the heart to abuse me the way she did? Right. I automatically was so angry towards her. 
and this is so weird that in the birth of my son, I had the clarity to just compare that because I held my baby and I said, I would never do these things to my son. Like I could never, even right. though I had all this abuse, forget this. I ate, I ate some crow <laughs> because one time I remember my son doing something that was really like triggering me. And I just had a fight with uh, my ex and I yelled at him. I was almost like this close from like exploding like my mom did. Yeah. And I went off on him. He was maybe five years old. He still remembers it up until this moment. Like we've had this conversation several times where he remembered, he goes, mom, I looked at your eyes and it wasn't you. You know, we can say I mean, all we want. One of the most severe ass beatings I ever got in my life. Um, a very similar thing happened. And my mom, it's crazy because my mom brought it up like two years ago. You know, I'm really good adult relationship with both of my parents. And she was asking my dad, you know, like, do you remember when this happened? He actually didn't. He does not remember. He blacked out from anger. And what's interesting is I think one of the first discoveries I ever made about toxic relationships was putting into Google the symptoms of an anger addict or a dry drunk. Go look that up for some fun. Right. And then realizing, you know, several years later, my dad got very honest with us and said, you guys didn't know this, but I was drinking back then. We had no idea, Pilar, none. I never would have guessed. There was never alcohol in our house. And as a matter of fact, if you would have asked me, I would have said, I've seen my dad drunk twice in my life. And it was at a wedding and, you know, some other, you know, celebration. But I could name them and count them. But he was probably drunk the whole time and you you didn't even know. No clue. And he beat the no. ever living shit out of me, like literally to the point where I was black and blue. I couldn't sit down at school and I tried to lie and say that I fell on the ice and the nurse called child protective services and they showed up at the house. And that was the last ass beating anybody ever got in my family from my dad. I think he may have smacked my niece or nephew once when they were staying with us. And that was like, you know, dude, you can't fucking do that. You know, like it was, it's a completely different situation generationally, right? When it's your niece or your nephew. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like, I was 10 and he came at me with the belt and it was, you know, buckle and uh, belt. Oh, I, I had a bunch of those. It, one of the things that I remember the most is being a kid, and my mom would just like out of the blue, whatever little thing that we were doing or I was doing, just like, and I was not a very easy child. I can tell you that right now. I wasn't I was either. I was child. a brat. I was mouthy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, but my mom was very strict with my oldest sister. And then she just kind of quit giving same a shit. Here. That's the same here. Like, I don't know if we just like wear them down. I was also funny though, too. That was my. That was how I avoided getting my ass beat most of the time is my dad would bust up laughing because I'd be in a little shit and I would get out of it. Really? My mom. So my mom would like be super angry and beat the shit out of me to the point where there was blood, there was bruises, there was anything that was handed to her. She would just beat us with. And it would be like she would snap out of it and stop. 
and just like hug me and cry and apologize. And at the beginning, I would feel terrible for my mom. I would feel bad for my mom after right. she beat the shit out of me. But I would feel bad for her because she would be crying and I'll be crying. We'll be hugging. But she did it so many times that one point I was like, yeah, that she's not sorry. She keeps beating the shit out of me, right. you know, and I, I then knew that nothing I did or I didn't do was the cause for her anger because she would be angry. One of the reasons why I was afraid to, to be a mother was like, I don't want to be like my mom. You know, I don't right. ever want to spank my kids out of anger. And my mom, that was the time where she would like blossom and beat the shit out of us when she was angry. It was like the best time for her to beat the shit out of us, you know? Right. And now when that instance happened with my son where he did something and I started yelling and being super angry at him, I felt that it was my mom, almost like my mom taking over me. And I stopped because I saw the fear in my son's eyes and I'd never seen that. And it went like it pulled me back to when I was his age and my mom was beating the shit out of me. Right. You know, it's it's so sad because I look back and my mom, when she was good, she was amazing. She was they a very creative. Holy shit. She was super creative. She was very loving. But when she would go through her maniac episodes and she would just be in a mood and she would be the press crime and she'll beat the shit of us it was like you never knew who you were gonna get and growing up in that chaos is so defining for a child right. and I mean it, it shapes you into who you are as an adult right it makes you like okay this is chaos I can deal with this I, I'm okay with this because I've lived in chaos so this is cool so that's why we're so attracted to that lifestyle. And when we see somebody that is pulling us into this type of world, we're like, oh, I can handle this. <laughs> and that's such a toxic, instead of like being like, fuck no, I want nothing to do with this lifestyle. I want out. We literally, it's like moths with a flame, man. We just go right for it. Yeah. And then I think what sucks is the flip side of it is when you do start to realize the pattern and you do start to see it, it almost makes you feel sick, right? It's like when you recognize that you're in another one, you're like, oh, fuck, not again. Because the they all look a little bit different. They just, you know, like a slightly different coat of paint and like maybe shiny in a different way, you know, special for some wanna... reason. I feel like we give people the benefit of the doubt because we're good people. Of course. Like, so we want to believe in the best parts of, of everyone. Yeah. Essentially, we we feel like, no, natural people, I mean, naturally speaking, people are, are good. Right. But they're not. Like, we give everybody so many chances. We need to realize, especially if, when we're in our healing, healing path, is learn to believe people. If they're showing you a behavior, like take it for face value. Don't yes. don't start give, don't don't start excusing their behavior with like, oh, he's tired or he's this and he's that, which we've done so yes. many times. Yeah, just in order to keep them around, you know. It's like, oh no, he had a bad day. 
Oh no. The other day I was, I snapped at someone and I was like, don't make excuses for their behavior. Like that was like the first thing that came out of my mouth. And they were like, you know, well, someone ended up sick and I was like, you know what? That's kind of a valid excuse, but their behavior happened before that. Prior to that. Yeah. We need to, we need to learn to believe people and believe their actions versus I think it was Maya Angelou who said, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Yeah. And we're so used to excusing people's behavior. They had a bad day. They're just tired. All the shit we used to say for our husbands. We need to be like, fuck this. He's an asshole all the time. Yeah. I deserve better. That's just how he talks to people. But we don't, we don't believe it ourselves for so long that we believe that we don't deserve better. And I think that's personally in my journey has been you need to believe it yourself before somebody else can believe that you're worth anything. You need to know how much you're worth. And that's so hard for me that I need to like literally create my own recording of like, you are deserve, you deserve this much and beyond because you're a human being. You don't need to, to, you know, do all this check marks in order to be deserving of anybody's love or attention. If they can't give you the bare minimum, next right and and that whole thing where we're so comfortable with settling for scraps god damn like that was it's so funny because right now I'm you know I just moved to a new place so I always am like deciding whether or not I want to date but I'm very aware that the next person I date will be somebody who just at the very fucking baseline knows how to respond to a text as if it's not moving a fucking mountain, you know, it's just like the games and the, yeah. I remember always feeling like I was bothering my ex. Yeah. When I would ask for the bare minimum, oh my gosh, I feel like- Literally scraps. Not shit. And, And it's funny because they would rally and totally do bare minimum and beyond whenever they knew they were about to lose you. So you know that they were capable of doing that. They chose not to. Yeah. And it made you feel even fucking worse. (laughs) Right, because you've seen them operate at 100%. Yes. But you know what? It's a bother when it comes to like doing it out of their own hearts, like without any prompt. That's why it's so like, it's still very foreign to me to see my boyfriend do some of the things he does because I'm like, okay like do I owe you anything right now keeping a list yeah like well what's going on and he's just like no I just want to do this because that's his love language you know right you know that's one of the biggest things I've realized about people who are narcissists they are always keeping score fuck yes there's never not one thing that my ex did that did not have strings attached never I can honestly say that he never went you know what I want to do something sweet for her just out of the goodness of my heart fuck no never yeah there was always and this I mean this that concept is not even just with your you know your uh romantic partner it could be with a friend right I had a friend that was the same fucking way you know and and to me it was like tit for tat like you can't like, I always felt like if, if she did something good for me, I'm like, okay, 
what what am I, what is she expecting next? Like, ugh, like right. it, it always made me feel so bad. And like right now, I'm a best friend. I love doing shit for her, you know, because I know I know her trauma is similar to me. Same with and my best friend. We, we were talking about this, like how how hard it is for us to accept anything nice from anybody, but we're happy to accept it from each other because we so know. Because a couple of years ago. When I first got on my feet, I was so excited. I was going to California. And then she like sort of like side mentioned, like, you know, she would be fun if I could come. And I was like, fuck it, I'm taking you. And so she's like, no, I can't. And, you know, like, she's like, please no. And I'm like, no, you're going to take it. And you're not going to say shit. And you're going to let me take us to some nice dinners. Yeah. And I did everything. And we just, it was like literally one of our favorite memories. Like, and she did tell me like, it's really hard for me to say yes. But it would be so stupid for me to say no. So yeah. I'm going to say yes. And we both, what's nice is that like, we've been poor together and we've been kind of medium together and we've watched each other come up and she's, you know, not the kind of person that's going to be angry at me if I do well at something. She's always, you know, excited. Supportive. And yeah. What you would yeah. expect from your, you know, from your best friend. And it is crazy when you end up with the narcissist friend. Um, I was going to ask you, what do you think uh, if we did some research what do you think the most common love language would be for an arc? For an arc? Uh, word to, physical, uh, no. physical, physical touch. Physical touch. Physical touch. <laughs> but I think, they, I think they're skilled in all of them. But they're not, they're not truthful with it. They use it as tools. Right. Because think about it. When you meet an arc, they fucking check all the boxes. They're great in bed. Right. Some of them, they're you know outgoing. They are. They will do everything for you. They won't let you. No, no, no. I'll do it, baby. You know they'll do all this shit for you. They'll call you beautiful. They'll talk you up. They'll they'll gas you up. But then once the you know what I'm saying. Once right, yeah. The the devaluing stage starts. They start pulling back, and you're like, fuck. What happened? Like, what did I do wrong? And then you yeah. started thinking, and then they pull back to the point where you don't get shit. And then you're begging for that one person that you met at the beginning. Right. So they are skilled at faking all of them, but they are not honest with it. You know right. what I'm saying? They're, they're just tools for them. So they love language. They have nothing because they can't experience love like me and you could. You know, right. Because for them, it's a very transactional thing. Right. So no, I, I don't believe that they can love, but they can fake all of them. They can. Fake it would be interesting to reread that book or to re-listen to that talk in the context of narcissism and toxic yeah. relationships. Yeah, because. And like trying to think about, you know, because I'm thinking about my sister, definitely acts of, I mean, it almost feels like acts of service, but that was, it, you know, that was the manipulation of like, I'm doing something for you. You better fucking appreciate it. And you better know that I'm, you know, doing something. But for I'm you. doing it for you. I think their best love language is whatever you, whatever you missed is in your, in your childhood. So if right. they see that you, they are like chameleons whatever you need they become in order to hook you right so I, I couldn't say that they honestly have a 
singular love language because they don't they don't love everything is right. transactional so yeah. it's not true love it's manipulative love language whatever you need they will be coming their love you, language yeah they will give you plenty of it but it's not going to be real and that's the sad part because they're fucking good at everything that they put their minds to when they need something right but oh gosh it just pisses me off just to think that that, that we wasted so much time in these relationships but like you said you know you don't know until you know and I don't really think you can learn this lesson any other way. There's nobody who's going to listen to this content that hasn't gone through it. Because mm -hmm. to someone who hasn't gone through it, it just sounds like a bunch of ridiculous bullshit. Then the moment you go through it, like, it's like you said, you hop on YouTube and you're like, for like six days, you're like, oh, yes. you know, like marathoning, like oh watching 16 videos a day and you've got your playlist, like, oh, this one's next and you've got a book and yes. you're just like uncovering this like mystery that's been playing out in your life. And, and the weird thing is when you're reading all the things and watching the videos, it's like a script. It's like you're reading a script and there's a checklist. That's why I didn't need any research for my book. Like literally all I had to do was close my eyes and go, what did it feel like here? What did it mm -hmm. feel like with this person? How did I feel in this stage? Like yeah. I didn't need any research. I've walked through it like 16 times. Yeah. And one of the things that make narcissists, um, weak or their weakness is that they all follow a script i mean I, i'm not gonna say all of them but the majority of them they follow a script and once you can step out you can step out of your abuse and you start healing you start spotting it and it's like holy shit oh my gosh and this comes next and sure enough that comes next when i was in the middle of my breakup he reached out to me and he's like, um, I think we should go on a trip to the Dominican Republic and reconnect. And I'm like, fuck no. <laughs> fuck no. But what would make you think that, that us doing this would improve our relationship in any way? But it followed, right. it completely followed the path of a narcissist because once he knew that I was leaving, Everything was like arguments and fights and all this stuff. When he knew that shit wasn't working anymore, he was trying to like, you know, his way in. Yeah. yeah. And when that didn't work, it was back to like the conflict and ah, fight, 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 fight. But it, it always follows shit. And it's funny, like once I started learning about narcissism and I started spotting all that behavior in him and the, the I call it the cycle of death, you know? Right. We do not. I got lucky because we didn't have kids, so we didn't have to go through that, thankfully. It blew my mind that it would hit all the points. And I'm right. like, oh, shit, this comes next. And sure enough, it was happening. I was like, oh, my God. Why did I not know this? A hundred years ago, it would have saved me so much heartache. It's so scripted. Uh, but you don't know until you know, Maria. Well, and they don't know that they're following a pattern of behavior right like even when you call a narcissist a narcissist I think they just think vanity of like well yeah I like myself so what 
No, yeah. right. Like that's the, that's the difficult thing about when you start talking about this stuff. Like if you are unfamiliar with the language of narcissism and codependency, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't feel like it applies to you. Yeah. You're like, no, I'm just married to an asshole. Have you ever like told your story to somebody that's never had an encounter with a narcissist and they look at you like you're fucking nuts? Yeah, like, like they're like they look like they're about to start filing their nails and they're just like, what the fuck is wrong? That can't be that bad. Cause you would have left if it was that bad. Like I tell my boyfriend some of the things that happened to me. And like I can see the confusion in his face because he goes, I can't relate to anything that you just told me. I mean, I believe you. But it's hard for me to relate in a personal level. It's like listening right. to somebody's story, but not being able to relate in any way. Well, and you also have to consider that he sees you as an empowered woman and someone that he respects. Yeah. Right? So like there have been times where I've told somebody a story and they're just like, I cannot ah. imagine anyone disrespecting exactly. you like that. You are such a badass. Like I can't imagine you punching that guy's teeth out. And you're like, well, no, like when you feel like you're two inches tall, you don't punch anybody's teeth oh, out. Yes. You cry in your fucking room. Look, I, I have three people in my life that know, that know me in, in a like cellular level, like he know, or they know my insecurities, they know my struggles and I'm okay being raw with them and like telling them everything that just comes out of my mind, you know, cause I know that they're going to love me regardless. Right. But everybody else outside of that circle think that I'm a badass, that I can do all this shit, that nobody will ever talk to me, you know, wrong because I'll punch their teeth, you know, out. The same way we have created this persona in right. order to protect ourselves. And every, yeah. I mean, we only have a tough exterior because we think we need to like. I yes. did. It's funny. Like, if you look at my old Instagram, like, especially like, cause I started Instagram like really early on because of one of my music row jobs, but it was mm -hmm. like back in the day when I had like, you know, piercings in my face and I was getting all my tattoos. I was definitely looked a little bit goth. And then as you like go through the, you know, like the recent stuff, it's all like flowers and rainbows. I'm like, there's literally like a color change that happens, but like, you know, there's this there, the, uh, Facebook group that we're both in um, that's, you know, about toxic relationships. There's this one day where people were posting photos of what they looked like during before and after. I love those. Oh my God. Like, just when I look at pictures of myself when I was married, I look so miserable and I look so sad and I can like see the depression. I mean, not just the fact that like I weighed a lot more, but like, I can see like the sadness on my face and it just makes me fucking sad. Like I was so beat down. And it's a whole, it's like looking at a whole different person. Yeah. You know, I remember telling my ex, I'll be crying in the middle of the night. And he knew I was crying. He would literally turn around, look at me and then turn around and just start snoring. And I would feel such a sadness because I felt so non-important and so non-relevant. Because he made it feel, he made me feel like that on purpose, right? And I would tell him, I feel more alone when you're laying next to me than when you're not with me. That's you definitely know? one of the, you know, like when you get to that point where you feel lonelier in your relationship than when you're by yourself, you, yeah. you know, that's like red flag number Red 20. flag, get the fuck out. 
Yes. You know, because it's not going to go back. You're not going to rewind to happier days. You know, that nice dude that was around for the first three months is never coming back. He doesn't exist. Never. He's not coming back.